began on a cold, blustery February day in 1908, when a one-legged reporter for the old Washington Times by the name of Graham Nickel crossed 14th Street on crutches and met a colleague, James Hay. I'm getting tired of having to hunt a stuffy, ill-ventilated little hall room in a cheap boarding house every time I want to play a game of poker, Nickel exclaimed. Hell's bells, why don't we get up a press club? A place where the fellows can take a drink or turn a card when they feel like it. How? Where? Hay responded through chattering teeth. I don't know and I don't give a damn where, Nickel replied. But all the same, we're going to have a club. And he hobbled to the press room at police headquarters on 12th Street and started collecting signatures of reporters willing to plunk down $10 each to get the club started. On March 12, 1908, 32 newspaper men with $300 in their treasury and promises of support from 200 of their colleagues decided that a press club was feasible and elected officers to look into it. Meeting just 17 days later in the F Street parlor of the Willard Hotel, they framed a constitution for what they called the National Press Club. Bill McCarran was named the GM of the National Press Club in 2007 and became the executive director of the Press Club in 2009. He's been at the helm of one of the most prestigious institutions in the world for more than a decade, and he's my guest today on The Cultural Scavenger. He's also one of the smartest and kindest people I've ever met. Bill, it's an honor to have you as my guest on The Cultural Scavenger. Thank you, Andy. Always good to be with you and uh, and a first time on The Cultural Scavenger. Yeah. For a guy with a job like yours, you certainly don't have an outsized ego. And I'm kind of amazed because you're not even listed on the Press Club website anywhere that I can find. You just didn't appear out of thin air. How'd you arrive at the club? Well, I moved to Washington in 1986 to start a business on the 12th floor in the press building and uh, knew that there was a press club up above and went up and joined. And I was a, I was a member for about 20 years. And then they were, you know, they were looking uh, to replace my predecessor and we had a discussion and I was at a time where I could uh, go to do something else. And um, we ended up working working out the terms. And I was delighted to come to what is you know, probably one of the best jobs in the world. And it was uh, pretty easy because you were in the same building. Well, I, funny thing about that, and I, I don't have anyone to compare this to, but so after 20 years of doing the commute where you're, you know, I, I would always ride the Metro and Metro comes right to the close to the building and go up the elevator. And it was pretty automatic to just punch 12. And, and uh, of course, then 12th floor. And then, you know, when I switched jobs, I'm punching 13 and it's a small change, right? Yeah, I definitely yeah. found myself walking down the 12th floor in that first year, <laughs> a few times. It was, it was That's pretty funny. frightening how, how hard it is to rewire, you know, that kind of a commute, but uh, yeah, the commute was short. That was, it wasn't like, uh, well, I'm going to take change a new job or change to a new job. And, um, oh, I got to go uh, up one floor. <laughs> yeah, it was probably the closest next job I could get. You know, <laughs> I think geography. so. That probably, uh, you know, that could be in the Guinness Book of World Records, it, I suspect. It might be. Right. Well, I met your wife, Andrea, who was my guest on a previous episode. And you you guys have the 
distinguished honor of being first husband and wife guests on the podcast. And Andrea interviewed me in 2015 when she was with uh, WUSA 9. And I've shared this with you many times. I've, and I shared this story with many folks many times. I was profoundly moved by her question that I recounted in my book, which it, it still sticks with me to this day. And at this point, I'm going to put in a plug for those that are listening. You all need to go back and listen to Andrea McCarran. And I believe the episode is titled, This Journalist is Going to the Dogs. So when we met you the following year at the regional Emmy Awards, uh, Andrea and, and Allison both won a statue. And right after that, you made Barbara and I lifetime members of the press club, uh, which was probably one of the biggest honors that I can ever recall in my life. You hosted my book launch, uh, as well as uh, my presser when I filed the FTC complaint against Google. I'm pulling this from the website. I want to read this comment from the legendary CBS commentator, Eric Savaride, who we all grew up with watching along with uh, Walter Cronkite. And he summed up what the club means to its members. Speaking in 1982 in the ballroom where so many events had taken place, he called the club the sanctum sanctorum of American journalists. It's Westminster Hall, it's Delphi, it's Mecca, the wailing wall for everybody in this country having to do uh, with the news business. The only hallowed place I know that's absolutely bursting with irreverence. When Barbara and I came to the press club for the first time, we were just in awe. And I immediately thought I was in hallowed ground. And I use that term often to describe the club, even before I saw Severide's characterization. The Truman Bar, the, the Pulitzer Prize-winning photography, the news conferences with presidents and dignitaries of all stripes. Bill, what's it like being part of this history? Well, it is like working in a museum sometimes. Um, there, is a, there is a lot of history here. We've been in this building since 1926. Um, and, and it is, the club is all those things. And there are uh, overtones of religion in what you've just been reading. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, there are definitely strong feelings among journalists that are, that, you know, that border on the spiritual about the club. Oh, I believe you know, it. But as Severide put his finger on it, it is, you know, it can be, it can be irreverent and a fun, you know, a fun place as well. But I, I wanted to add and answer a little bit when you said you were honored to become a member because, uh, you know, that's our honor. So Allison, your daughter, uh, was doing what, what journalists do, and she did it extraordinarily well. And, um, we, we, we can't, uh, can no longer host her here. Uh, but when we had you and Barbara here, we felt, we felt close to Allison. And, uh, and then we, you know, we came to know you as people in your own right. And uh, the club is, is a, this place of history, but it's a, it's a collection of people and of souls. And um, I, I just, Aside the fact that I liked you guys, I just sensed right away that yours are yours are among the souls and Allison's, of course, that we want to include in our in our community. And uh, so it's been a pleasure to 
involve you and and make you feel welcome and have you all here. No one, no one can really make uh, you know that kind of pain that you all have go away. But I would say among our three thousand members, there are people who have had really difficult experiences that they did not ask for and that need and that need a place to heal. And so, if the club can be that place, um, as it's been for us, I think some afternoons uh, we're, we're happy for that. Uh, it has indeed been a healing place. You and the club have made us feel like we're part of the fraternity and part of the family. Yeah, there's a lot of missionary work for the club. Um, and, you know, we're a place, uh, people don't all understand this always, but um, the club is a place that probably has hosts 30 weddings a year uh, when it's not COVID times, you know. Uh, yeah. Often these are between journalists, journalism families, you know, uh, also on the other side um, of a good number of memorial services, um, you know, for for journalists. And I'll I'll mention one, David Broder, who is a longtime member of the club right. and a dean of the Washington Press Corps. He wanted his his memorial service to be here at the club and, and his family did. And uh, there were at that event. Uh, which the post in an editorial referred to the press club as the tabernacle of journalism, which is hadn't heard that phrase before, but uh, uh, at that David Broder event, there were eight different uh, protection details uh, guarding different guests that we had in the audience. Uh, So, and it was just a wonderful event, but um, for, you know, for some people, for some parts of their life, Church is not it, but but a large, beautiful room that celebrates truth and celebrates uh, uh, standing up for what's right. That feels right to a lot of people for special, uh, monumental, you know, occasions. Oh, I I totally agree. And you know, the the tabernacle and the church. I mean, I get that. To me, it is all about reverence when I walk in that place. So I, it doesn't surprise me that Broder wanted his memorial there. I mean, to me, it's uh, very spiritual. You remind me of the guy, and I think I've told you this before, you remind me of the guy who owns a restaurant. You're there all day, and then then you're there for the evening events. How did you and Andrea manage to raise three kids, see each other? I mean, how did you do it? Yeah, well, the kids are... Um... The youngest now is 20. So, um, you know, in the years that you and I have known each other, they've been more self-sufficient. I said I was doing a different job until until I took this job in 2007. So I ran my own business. So I was my own boss. And at that time, Andrea was a correspondent for, you know, NBC mm-hmm. and ABC. And she was what for ABC, she was what's called the weekend White House correspondent, which meant right. uh, she was traveling weekends. So uh, we had little kids. And uh, when she would go to work, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't driving to the office 15 minutes and driving back. She'd, she'd drive to Andrew's Air Force Base. She'd get on a plane and she'd be gone for the weekend, you know, with the president as he was raising money or whatever in California. And yeah. And uh, so I definitely was a, you know, had to know what I was doing, which, which, which end of the baby is the right one. And, um, <laughs> you know, and so I put in a, an awful lot of time as a dad, maybe a little bit more than I, 
you know, than I could have if I w- if I was working for somebody. And that way we were able to, you know, play pretty normal roles and interact. But we both do have super busy schedules and sometimes they're often they're, you know, taking us different places. And Andrea likes the club uh, and she likes what it stands for. But I think, you know, she's done her time putting in a lot of time at the club. So she'll be here through the course of a year for certain things, but she's not going to come and hang out every night. And uh, and I get I get that. Does it ever get old? Uh, the press club stuff, the club itself and its mission, I think, is enduring. The, the wearing part for me can be, you know, there's 3,000 members and they're, they're all pretty amazing people, but they all have things they want. People are pretty demanding of someone that runs a private club. So sometimes I'll, I'll have to listen to problems or complaints. And, and uh, that's part of being public and being there and, and knowing how to sort it through and, and fix it. That part I I won't miss uh, at some point when I want to move gonna, on to something else. You, you can't retire. I'm sorry. You just you can't <laughs> <good>. do it. <laughs> That's good. Well, I'm I'm of age now, so I, you know it's definitely a, a thought I have. But um, uh, I think I'll you know always stay active, always be doing something, and 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 hopefully always be able to be involved at some on some level in the press club if if they'll have me. So. There are some annual events that repeat, so it, does, it can feel like oh, we've been here before, we've done this before, but uh, there's also a heck of a lot that's new at the club. And it, it, it we say one of the mottos that's trademarked here is a place where news happens. Mm-hmm. So every day there's things that are happening or being discussed that are for the first time. Right? Yeah. That part doesn't necessarily get old. That's uh, by its nature. There's unique stuff going on. There's just news flowing throughout the space. And so that keeps everybody interested in being here, coming here, being part of it. And and me too. We talked about this club being a social gathering place. How did you get through COVID? Uh, it's been a very big challenge. We're a, a kind of a city in a way, or a, or a mall, I guess. Uh, we're 250,000 people visit the club uh, each year uh, during normal times. And so there's a, you know, people streaming in and out, going to events, um, our own events, and then ones that commercial events where people are paying to rent the room and have their event. And so trying to do a version of that when people are are the very thing that puts, put each other at risk, uh, that's challenging. So we, you know, we complied initially with the, with the mayor's order to closed down uh, workplaces for a couple of months when things were worst in the spring of uh, 2020. And then we came back in June of 2020 and pretty much we've been here since then. And we've just been trying to figure out a way to have it, have the environment be, you know, as safe as possible, keep our members safe, our customers safe and be relevant and do things that are helpful and relevant. I mean, just from a health security standpoint that, when you enter, we take your temperature. It's very um, fancy, by the way. Modern, I mean, I've never yeah, seen anything right. like it. It's it's like almost out of a Star Trek. It takes your face. It takes yeah. a piece of your soul, I think, and, and it, <laughs> it tells does. us your temperature. I wonder and, what happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so uh, that's just checking symptoms. You know, I think it was uh, almost two months ago, we started asking to see proof of vaccination. And, oh, you would have thought we were asking for a quart of blood. I mean, people were... Many people really? were fine with that. 
but but there were a lot of people who thought, even though they had it, they didn't feel they that that sharing it was you know that was their personal medical information, and, and it is. Well, but it, it is, but it but also yeah, we're yeah. trying to create a, a safe environment. So, uh, but now you know it's pretty commonplace. A, a lot of places are asking for proof of vaccination. So we were early on it, and we took a few lumps for it. Uh, but I think it was the right thing to do. Of course, and. Um, We've been very lucky that we have not had uh, staff or guests contract, as far as we know, from contact tracing and so forth, uh, COVID here. And we've been following really good, good protocols. But I mean, I will, even if you follow protocols as carefully as you can, things can happen. If you've managed to skate, you haven't been affected by it. And speaking of health, it, it just dawned on me, and I wanted to mention that there's actually a gym in the National Press Club. Yeah. Of yeah, all things, there there's is a gym. The interesting, funny story about the gym is that members, one of the things members have been pushing me to do was to get a Peloton. A lot of people now, over the pandemic, tons of people got them in their homes. But before the pandemic, it was it was a great thing to have. So we put in an order for one and we got it and we set it up and we had the video. And then boom, there was COVID. And it literally sat there <laughs> in, a, in a closed facility for months. And I was thinking, you know, like, oh, we should have just had it delivered to one of the members' homes, right? And all of them could have gone gone there and used the Peloton. But uh, the gym and and health and so forth is important. Club, you know, we, we're feeding people. We're conscious of that. So we try to have good health practices there. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, committees at the club that will do physical activities and, and um you know, runs and things like that. So uh, the club is a, it is a place that's mindful of, of health. There's a, there's a fellowship committee at the club that really its primary purpose is to go and visit people that are in, in the hospital. Obviously you can't do that during COVID, but you know, in normal times go to visit somebody who's not doing well or had an operation or something like that. What's been the most harrowing experience that you've had? I mean, obviously you've had people come in, you mentioned about the, you know, the, during David Broder's uh, memorial that, you know, there was security there. The point about multiple details is that they are supposed to coordinate with each other because if there's a problem, an issue, and they have to uh, pull their weapons, the last thing they want to see is another group of people pulling weapons and not know who they are. And that sounds yeah. like a small a small thing, but it does require, you know, coordination when people are coming to visit to make sure that the various details all know each other and, um, and, are, and are aware of uh, that there that there are other people on premises, you know, who have uh, lethal force. There have been, you know, some occasional altercations here at the club. We like every every public place. There sometimes are protesters, and uh, the protesters, if they're disruptive of the event, you know, need to be exited. And uh, there's a there's a procedure for that, and that that all usually works pretty well here. And we, we see it coming before it happens most of the time. Right. But, uh, we did have a, a you know a guy who uh, when George Soros was speaking here decided he wanted to go up onto the riser behind the dais and and come at him and uh, oh, he didn't wow. he didn't make contact but you know he was loud and and he was and he was violent and uh, we moved him off so but th- this kind of stuff can happen we don't want to emphasize it but you know the world has become coarser and other countries have. Uh, security details that are, uh, you know, can be brusque sometimes. And so we need to 
Uh, there was a famous incident in D.C. not too long ago where the Turkish security for the embassy decided that they wanted to beat up on some journalists and some others uh, in front of the embassy. And so uh, we've had we've had issues with that particular segment of society here at the club and and with others. Uh, we, no, we no longer right. allow the Saudi uh, security teams to enter the National Press Club. The, the officials are welcome to come and speak. And they're they're always protected by diplomatic secret service. And that's fine, but the Saudi security forces, you know, are not welcome to to be here. Good move. And so so I guess the moral of the story is that if you cause trouble at the press club, Bill McCarron will personally (laughs) kick your ass. People are really afraid of my master's degree. I (laughs) try to refer to that as much as much as possible. And the best kind of security is is you know seeing seeing things that are happening or could happen and and designing systems so that they don't happen. Right. What's been your most favorite moment? Oh, there's so many. Um, maybe for me, the, the thing that I l- really liked the most, uh, uh, I'm a management person. So, you know, I'll walk through an event before it's going to start and I'll cast an eye across it and try to make sure things look orderly and everything's good. And so I was doing that one day before a National Press Club luncheon. And in the room, there were maybe three waiters who were setting up tables and one sound guy and me. And uh, our guest, who was on stage, that was James Taylor. And he was playing Carolina. Just walking through the ballroom, and and there were six people there. And James, I felt like James Taylor was singing to me, you know? And uh, (laughs) (laughs) that was just fun. That was nice. And uh, so the the club is a place of arts as well as news. And um, I I think uh, one of the great nights for us was when we had a, 40th birthday party for Jason Rosian, who you mentioned mm-hmm. before, who, yep. who'd been in prison in, in uh, Iran. And then he came back and he sort of took some quiet time to figure it out. And uh, by about m- mid-March, it was time for his birthday. We thought maybe he'd be ready to be with people. And he was and uh, wasn't ready to speak yet, but uh, he was with people. And a lot of the Washington Post was here and uh, his favorite sports team spent sent tributes, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to him. And uh, we had different uh, different speakers from government and 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 from journalism. Um, Bob Woodward, who was a big mentor to him, came came that night and spoke. And Marty Barron spoke. And uh, Jason's wife Yegi spoke. Yeah. She was a, she was a little bit ahead of him in terms of her recovery. She had also spent seventy days in solitary. Oh yeah, she'd yeah. been through a lot. Out of something that was so awful, uh, it was it was just such a great feeling of renaissance and uh, hopefulness. So that, that was probably one of my favorite nights. And then after that, we everybody went up to the bar, which is sort of the beating heart of the press club. And 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 uh, it was a late night at the bar. A lot of st- strong feelings and uh, just a magic time when it felt like anything you know was possible. That bar has seen a lot of really great times. You and I have had some good ones there. It's the first place that people could legally buy a drink after prohibition. Um, No kidding. And so we're liquor liquor license number one at the press club. And it was the first place they shut down when they were imposing prohibition. And in both cases, it was because they knew the bar would be full of journalists. And so it's a a great way to (laughs) get the message out, right? So. Yeah, there was a method in the madness, I guess. <laughs> That's yeah. Thanks for your steadfast friendship and helping me amplify the causes that I care about. 
and as I mentioned, you can't retire anytime soon. <laughs> okay. uh, if our roles were reversed, I'd be in the, in the Truman Lounge every day. I'd be a lounge lizard. There's a lot going on, but that uh, that's a pretty good place of relaxation. And and journalists need that relaxation, right? It's a very stressful uh, job. And so I'm glad there's a place they can come and, and relax and learn the craft from each other, talking yeah. to each other. Yeah. And, uh, that's, a, that's a service we provide and happy to do so. Thank you for being uh, the guardian of that oasis. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I look and, forward to seeing you the next time. Yep. Yeah, likewise. And best to Andrea. And we'll see you soon. Yeah, best of Barbara. Take care. You too. Thanks, Andy. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Mary Ann Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.